a wonderful thing about entering a new year. As I often say, God's already there. Wherever you are, God is always previous to you. Did you know that? We are always moving into him. He's there. Past, present, future. He knows no time. He's eternal. And how wonderful it is to look into the new year and know that God is faithful. He is there for whatever is coming. And great, great opportunities that we have once again to serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to see you here this morning. Now you have your uh, copy of God's Word. I encourage you, if you would, to turn to another passage. The passage that was read so wonderfully by Tim this morning in Matthew chapter 16 is going to be a foundational passage we'll be coming back to uh, over the next few weeks during this series of messages. But I'd like you to turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you'd like to use the Bibles provided for you, that's page 996. And so please take your Bible uh, or use the device that uh, you have with you. Hope you have that uh, Bible app on there. And uh, bring the Word of God with you. Let me give you that uh, New Year's resolution and uh, encourage you as you come to church, bring God's Word with you because as you open God's Word uh, and you listen to what God is saying, what a powerful thing it is as you have that copy of God's Word for your own help and benefit. So I encourage you to do that. Also, uh, as I said last week, uh, I would like to invite you to take a journey with me this year. And uh, that is through some uh, devotionals that I have written. Uh, this year called Sunlight. I left a copy down there. There's a, a copy in that basket right there. You bring, say it says Sunlight. It's shining real brightly, brother. Why don't you bring that to me? Okay. Yeah, thank you. That's it. Okay. Thank you. Thanks so much, Sean. Appreciate it. But uh, the devotionals are out in the uh, Welcome Center. We printed uh, 300 last week. Didn't know how many people would be interested. 292 uh, were taken. Uh, most of them were paid for. So that's encouraging as well. <laughs> Now, there's a suggested donation of $3. Uh, all the proceeds go toward our uh, outreach ministries here at Cedarbrook. But if you follow this pattern, uh, what we'll do is each day of the week, there's a reading of a chapter in God's Word. And Monday through Friday, we go through the New Testament chapter by chapter. There's 260 chapters in the New Testament. So if you do five chapters of the New Testament a week times 52 weeks, you have the 260 chapters. Then there's the weekends. And so on the weekends, we're going to spend that in the book of wisdom and the book of worship, wisdom being Proverbs and worship being the book of Psalms. So as you follow this along day by day, uh, I've written a little devotion to go along with each one of those chapters through the New Testament and also in Psalms and Proverbs. I say, I have written them. They will be written. Let me put it that way, okay? Someone said, well, are we going to get February? And I said, by God's grace, yes. But uh, the snowball's over the hill. I'm committed, okay? So uh, these will be available, and they're out in the Welcome Center and the lobby. And so please, be great to take a journey with you. And I hope that the thoughts uh, in these pages will be helpful. But I want to tell you one thing. The thoughts and words on these pages will change your life, right? The Word of God, and that's really what it's all about. Well, let's turn to that passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3. New years always dawn with new uh, expectations, new opportunities. Give us a chance to think about fresh vision. 
I'd like to mention that just a little bit for our church, uh, our vision. Uh, back in August of actually 2017, we brought before the church and the staff had been talking about it for some time and praying about it, what we called the 2020 vision. And that was that over the next few years, uh, we felt like there were some areas of strategic ministry focus that we needed to have as, as a body here at West Park. And so we brought forward that vision in August of 2017, last year in 2018, the wonderful Jehovah Jireh offering went toward the beginning of that. And uh, there are three aspects of this strategic ministry uh, plan. The first is a vision for our community. And on March 4th of last year, we officially uh, affirmed as a church in, in voting the beginning of Cedarbrook Outreach, which is an, a mission ministry uh, to our Cedarbrook area uh, and the approximately 40,000 people that live within two miles of where you are seated right now, 40,000 people, and ministering to families, children, young people, families at risk uh, in those areas, and a specific focus on children and youth, and God has greatly blessed that with missionaries coming and now serving on mission uh, in this community, and in particular in the schools, and also with Boys and Girls Club, the Tuesday night outreaches and during the week. It's a great thing God's doing. We'll be saying more about that over the next few weeks. Also, a second part of this vision was a vision for our campus. Uh, after much prayer and thinking as a staff and deliberation with our leaders, with the deacons, uh, we came up and presented to the church uh, beginning last August a campus development plan, which was, you may know, a, a two-phase approach of how we build another uh, building in front of our current uh, children's building, the uh, gym building, nursery building that would be connected, have one family building for all the ministries uh, for children and families, especially children, uh, up through uh, the fifth grade. And uh, that, Lord willing, will be underway uh, in the next few weeks. We'll be sharing with you more about that and grateful for the very generous giving that's come toward that vision as we said that we set the goal of $500,000 to be raised before we would begin that. And then in God's timing after that, we'd like to build another uh, sanctuary auditorium where we can uh, gather as a body and one service and continue to grow and minister to our community. Uh, and we're looking to God to do that in his timing. But that's a vision for our campus and a vision for our community. The third part of this 2020 vision is a vision for our congregation. A vision for our congregation. And that has to do with how we as a church are uh, realigning ourselves as closely as possible on what the Bible has to say about the lordship of Jesus in a local congregation, uh, the membership of God's people and their involvement in ministry in a local congregation and also the servant leadership uh, within that congregation. So that's a vision for our congregation, which leads us to this series of messages that uh, as pastors uh, we felt led to start this year with about this vision for our congregation that will lead us in a few months' time to actually make uh, as God leads us, some changes to our bylaws and our constitution to reflect a way of better alignment on scripture 
uh, regarding the ministry of our local church. And so for the next few weeks, we're beginning this series this morning, and we have a focus called Church by the Book. Church by the Book. That's the title of this message today, and also for the focus of the next seven weeks, beginning today, uh, that we'll cover this, and then that will lead up to our missions conference, and that focus coming in late uh, February. Now, there are two sections to this series of messages, and they're in the title, By the Book and Church. By the Book and Church. Church by the book. By the book has to do with right doctrine, right beliefs. And we call that orthodoxy. Many of you are maybe heard that word orthodoxy. What does that mean? Orthodox means right beliefs. Right beliefs. But church by the book means to be a church not just holding and sharing right beliefs, but we're also operating and ministering by the book in the way we practice that work of the Lord, way we practice the faith, the way we live our lives. That word is orthopraxy, right practices. Your orthodoxy, your right beliefs, should lead to orthopraxy, right behaviors. And if you look through, especially the epistles of Paul, you'll find that his letters are divided that way so often. Right beliefs and right behaviors. And as a congregation, we want to make sure that we are completely aligned as much as possible in Scripture, in faith, and practice and faith and practice. And so today we want to talk about, in particular, what it means to be a church by the book. I want to emphasize those three words, by the book. And that's the reason I've had you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll be looking at it in just a few moments. You know, I was thinking about this series, of course, for the last several weeks, but the days leading up to Sunday, as usual, I'm trying to think of ways that maybe could illustrate what we're talking about. I have a very unique one uh, that I think is helpful, at least it helped me, and so I'll pass it on to you. If it just confuses things, I'm sorry, but it helped me a little bit. I was talking to a, a person here at the church, and he was talking about a friend of his who had just bought some new tires for his truck. Now, this uh, brother has a very, very beautiful, very large truck. And this person said he needed uh, new tires. He got new tires and he told me what the price was of those new tires. Now, you know, I've always in a hidden part of my heart coveted those great big trucks. (laughs) Never again (laughs) after I heard the cost of the tires. Because it just seems to me if you can't afford the tires, you can't afford the truck. It's just me. And I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking that way. And so I thought about, wow, paying that much for, for tires. But you know, tires, if you get new tires, they're not cheap anywhere. But why are they so important? For a vehicle, why are the tires so important? And you need good tires because regardless of what kind of vehicle you've got, 
whether you've got a brand new shiny vehicle with all the options or you've got the old beater held together by tape, glue, and prayer to the almighty gracious God. You've got to have those tires on the ground. It is where the rubber meets the road because that's where it happens. That transportation, whatever transportation you have, it's happening there as the wheels on that car go round and round and round and round. Now, I've lost some of you even by bringing up that little song, okay? (laughs) It all happens right there. Now, when you get new tires, after you get shocked with that price, you're also informed, and correctly, that you're also going to need something to go along with those tires. What's that? You're going to need to have them balanced, and you're going to have alignment. You need an alignment. You need an alignment. Now, why is that necessary? Because even if you have those tires, and they're good tires, you've got to have alignment because regardless if you have a good car and good tires, your car is going to have a tendency to what? Drift. You ever notice that? Sometimes you've had to take your car to the service, be serviced because you notice it's drifting. It's drifting. You know, we all in our own lives have a tendency to do that. We have a tendency to drift. I'm going to tell you, I do. Uh, When we sing that song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Listen, that's where I am. As individuals, we have a tendency to drift away from the Lord. And the same goes for a collection of individual Christians. What is a collection of individual Christians? That's a church. And a church can have a tendency to drift. Can drift to the left over into liberalism. Where we take away from God's word. Or a church over a period of time, maybe years, can drift to the right into legalism. Where there's man-made traditions added to the word of God. And friend, let me tell you, both of them are deadly disastrous for a church. Both are terrible. Drifting to the left where we take away from God's word and don't align ourselves fully on God's word. Or drifting to the right where we add to God's word. Both are terrible drifts away From the book. And so, what is the answer to my personal drift tendency, your tendency to drift personally? For this church has a natural tendency because we are sinners to drift. What is the answer? The answer is to be aligned on the book. The older I am, the longer I'm in ministry, I want to tell you, my friends, the answer's in the book. The answer's in the book. Now, the early Christian leaders had a word that they used for the importance of individuals and of churches aligning on the book. They would refer to the Bible, the writings of Scripture, as the canon. The canon 
of Scripture, the canon of Scripture. Now, when we think of canon, we think that that refers to a large artillery weapon. And the Scriptures are a weapon, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, right? But the canon of Scripture doesn't mean a, a weapon. As a matter of fact, we think of canon, it's spelt differently. It's spelt with two N's. I looked it up on Google. No, it's a fact. You know, that's that infallible source of truth, Google. When the writers of Scripture and then the ancient church leaders referred to the canon of Scripture, they were using a word, a Greek word, that is pronounced canon. Canon. And canon meant a stick. A stick. A rod. A rod. But officially it meant a rod of measurements. Things were measured by the canon, by the rod. And the determination was whether something measured up based on the canon. And so when the early Christian leaders referred to the scriptures, they called the scriptures the canon. And the word comes to us literally transliterated the canon of scripture means the measurement by the scriptures that the scriptures are God's measuring stick this is God's measurement using the word of God this is God's read of measurement and we are to measure all things with it because you see if we don't have a source by which we measure things then everybody's measurement is up to them. Right? I could take our canon here in the United States. And here in the United States, we call it inches and feet. How many can say amen to that? That metric system's wrong. It's just wrong. <laughs> it, it's not of God. I'm... I, I know there's a verse about it, and I haven't found it yet, but I'm sure it's there. Feet and inches. So, for example, our canon, our measurement. I, I measure the top of this pulpit. And so I'm going to measure it. I don't think I've ever done that before. <laughs> hey, this top of this pulpit is 75 inches. 75 inches. Isn't that great? 75 inches across the top there. You say, oh no, Sam. That's not nearly 75 inches. Well, it looks to me like 75 inches. Well, you need to get your contacts adjusted or something. That's not 70. Oh no, that, that's 75 inches. It's not. I'm telling you, it's not close, Sam. Listen, my truth is that this is 75 inches. I mean, that's just my position. That's how I feel about it. Don't you judge me. How, how, who are you to judge that my pulpit is not 75 inches wide? The, the thought of it. Intolerant? No. Say, Sam, 
get your ruler out. It's 25 inches. You can stand there and say it's 75 inches all morning long, all night long. You can, you can talk about your 75-inch wide pulpit. It's not. It's 25 inches. This is the standard. It is 25 inches. My friends, this is the standard right here. You see, if we don't have a standard, then we're all God. You see, if we all have our standard and we're all our own authority, then we're our own God. And guess who knew that from the very beginning? Satan. So what was the first thing Satan said to Adam and Eve before they ever sinned? What was his first temptation? Has God really said? The first thing that Satan attacked, and he has never stopped attacking till this very day, is, is God's word the standard? Well, you can be your own standard. You can be your own God. You can have it your way. Don't be repressed. Don't be held back. Sure, those people got their truth, but you got your truth. Friends, listen. Competing truth is an impossibility. Your truth can't be true, and your truth can't be true if they don't agree with each other. I can't be right if this book says I'm wrong. Let God be true and every man a liar, the Bible says. Because God is true and his word is true. And so when we say church by the book, we're talking about our own lives as Christians being aligned on the book. Now why, let's ask the question, why can we say the Bible is the standard. Why can we say that? Because the Bible clearly affirms, first of all, the inerrancy of the Scriptures. The inerrancy of the Scriptures. This means the Bible is without error. When we say the Bible is inerrant and we talk about the inerrancy of the Scriptures, we are saying that the Bible, as it was written, is without error. And the Bible affirms that itself. And now somebody may say, well, you know, I think the Bible is a collection of the written writings of men and some women. And it happened over a period of, of centuries. And, and I know it's, you know it's been corrupted. And so we've got men's traditions that have gotten into that. We can say that, but you've got an argument with someone who says differently. And you know who that someone is? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ believed and taught that the Bible is inerrant. So when we begin to say or we hear that the Bible is full of errors and you can't trust it explicitly and implicitly, we are arguing with Jesus because Jesus said some things like this. Jesus said, John 10, 35, Scripture cannot be broken. You cannot have a higher view of the Bible than Jesus. Scripture cannot be broken. 
Jesus said this in Luke chapter 21, verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Friends, let me tell you, this world and all of its philosophies and all of its opinion polls is going to pass away. And the atmosphere around which this globe in which we live is going to be burned up. But when we are gone and this planet is gone and made new, God's word will not pass away. That's what Jesus said. My word will not pass away. Jesus said this in prayer as he was praying. You know what Jesus said to his father about the Bible? You know what he said? He used it as a prayer request for you and me. Jesus wanted us to be so aligned with him that he prayed to his father to use the Bible to align us with him. John 17, 17, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed these words, Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Father, I'm leaving, I'm coming back to you. These, my followers, are here. And I know you're going to send the Holy Spirit to be with them. But set them apart, Lord. Make them your special people. Make them what they ought to be by your truth. Sanctify them. Your word is the truth. You want to be a better Christian? You want to follow Jesus more closely? Jesus said, it happens by the word of God. Notice what Jesus did not say. Listen. Jesus did not say, the Bible contains truth. He didn't say, your word contains truth. He said, your word is truth. Notice also what Jesus did not say. Listen carefully. Jesus did not just say, your word is true. Even though he knows God's word is true. Jesus did not say to his father, your word is true. What did he say? Your word is truth. What was Pilate's question to Jesus? What is truth? And the poor blinded man didn't know that truth incarnate was standing in front of him. And Jesus said, I'm the word incarnate. And he said, Father, your word is inspired. Your word is the truth. This is the truth. Everything that is true aligns with truth. Every opinion is a right opinion if it aligns with this truth. Every plan is a good plan if it aligns with this truth. Every decision is a good decision if it aligns with this truth. Every attitude is a good attitude if it aligns with this truth. Thy word is truth. That means Jesus said the Bible is the absolute, trustworthy, final authority. And if Jesus said that, folks, then we want our lives... And we want our church, as we share life together, to be aligned on the truth, right? That's a great vision. That's a great vision.
The scriptures are the standard of our measurement because of the inerrancy of scripture, but also secondly, because of the sufficiency of scripture. Now I want you to look at the passage I had you turn to some time ago. (laughs) The sufficiency of scripture. It doesn't just mean that scriptures are true and right, but they are sufficient. The scriptures are all we need. All we need. This is how you know, before I read the passage, still, I'm not building up drama. I'm just extending my remarks. <laughs> what is the difference between Christianity and every cult? Every single cult. It's this. A cult will say the Bible is God's word and also some other writing, some other book. Bible's great. you got to have the Bible, but you can't understand the Bible unless you have this book. you got to have more. Friend, it is in the and, the Bible and, that the destruction of hell comes. When you add to God's word, there's a curse on that. Because if God's word is true and God's word is perfect and sinful man tries to add to God's word, it corrupts God's word. And that's where cults are formed. That the word of God's not enough. You've got to have the word of God plus this book or that book. This person's prophecies and writings or this other person's writings. Or an angel came down and gave some additional information. Or a prophet was raised up to bring a latter, another gospel. That's the work of the devil. What was the first thing that Satan attacked? The word of God. And he's at it today. And he does it in the very name of religion. Paul said this. He was writing to Timothy. Paul's on death row. He wants Timothy, the pastor in Ephesus, to come visit him. And he writes to him and he says, Timothy, I want you to remember these things as you are are teaching others and training other pastors and training Christians and leaders there in Ephesus. He says this in verse number 15. Verse number 16, rather, of 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training righteousness, that the man of God, and that can mean the pastor of God, but it means every man and woman of God, every follower of God, may be completely equipped For every good work. Now notice what Paul said. All scripture is breathed out. Paul used the word inspired here. It might be in your Bible. He he created a word. And the word means God breathed. There was not a word that meant God breathed. Paul just created it. 
He could do that because he's the Apostle Paul. And he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he's trying to say how trustworthy the Scripture is. And he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. What does that remind you of? When God brought life to that lump of clay, Adam, how did he do it? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And that lump of clay became a living soul. And as people were writing God's messages, as Paul was writing, Luke was writing, Mark was writing, Matthew was writing, John was writing, their writing was being breathed upon by the Spirit of God so that what they wrote was the living Word of God. That's what Paul is saying. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And because it's God-breathed, it's profitable. It's capable to produce. What's profitable? It's capable to produce something. What is the Word of God capable to produce in your life and in the life of this congregation? Teaching. That means right directions. Clear directions. Reproof. That means to bring back from drift. What do we all have a tendency to do? Drift. The Word of God is able to reprove us, bring us back, and to correct us. That is to realign us on truth. To bring us back so that we are aligned with God and His will. Scripture is able to do that. And Scripture is able to train us That is to keep us on the road, the path of life. We need training so that we don't get off again. The Word of God is able to teach us correct directions. It's able to stop the drift. It's able to get us back realigned with God and then keep us on the road. That's what Paul is saying. And notice what he says here. I want you to notice a very important word. What's the first word of that verse 16? First word, all. Scripture is breathed out by God. What's that mean? All the verses and every verse. Every verse. As a church and as individuals, we must align ourselves not to some of the things God says, but to all the things God says. You know, when I was a little boy growing up in Indiana, lived on Street, C Avenue, a couple hundred feet maybe from the railroad track, the diesel trains coming all the time, smoke bellowing out about five blocks from where my dad worked at Chrysler, smoky plant. I can smell the beauty of home right now, okay? (laughs) We had a little fenced-in backyard, a row house, about 900 square feet. And I loved that backyard because you could get back there and play, but also some other things were back there. There was a grape arbor back there, and you could go running under that grape arbor, and as you came by, you could just grab a cluster of grapes. Wasn't too good for the grape arbor. But then there was apricot trees, and so you could get up in the tree and get some of those. They were delicious. Then there were plum trees. They had pretty good plums, 
There were four plum trees in our backyard. They all died before I was in fifth grade. Why? My mom and dad thought plum switches were the best thing to use. This is is the truth. By the time I was 10 years old, those trees were dead. You can only cut so many switches off a tree. Now, I'm not recommending that. As you, but I'm just telling you this, what happened. So, so damaged me. I became so bitter, I entered the ministry, okay? <laughs> Next door neighbor, the Logans, had a cherry tree right on the other side of our fence. Mm-mm-mm. And mom would say, don't, don't you get in that cherry tree. That's for Miss Logan's cobblers. That's, don't you get in there. Well, <laughs> the serpent tempted me and I did eat, right? <laughs> yeah. I'd, get over, I'd go over the fence, and I'd get up in that tree, and that may explain why our plum trees died, because of that cherry tree. <laughs> but I'd get up in that cherry tree behind those leaves, and I'd start looking, and I'd start taking cherries and eating them. And I'd taste one, and I'd go, oh, that's a little bitter. I'd throw that one out. I'd taste another one. That's a little bitter. I'd throw that out. Then I'd taste one, and I'd say, mmm, mmm-hmm. That's just, the, hmm, that's it. So what would I do? I'd start finding just the cherries that tasted good to me. You know what that's called? Cherry picking. <laughs> Cherry picking. Oh, that one's bitter. Mm-mm, that's not quite right. Now, that's what I like. Let me tell you what we have a temptation to do. We cherry pick the scripture. Oh, I like that verse. I like that promise. I like that. Mm-hmm. Whoa, that's kind of sour. That's not quite to my liking. But friends, listen. Therein lies the way of destruction. Because every part of this book, every verse is the word of God. And whether... The verse is one of our favorites, or whether it's like an arrow to our heart, we need it. And woe be to the church that starts cherry-picking scriptures. Woe be to the Christian that starts cherry-picking scriptures. Woe be to the church that when the pastor holds up the Bible and says, this is the word of God, everybody says, amen. But when those verses start getting applied to people one-on-one, in a counseling situation or talking about priorities or habits or attitudes. Oh, well, that's not my interpretation of that scripture. That's not my interpretation. Friend, listen. What God says is true. And there are times in my life I get so drifted away from him I need somebody to come and give me some of the scripture that I might not want. And that's the most loving thing somebody can do. That's the most loving thing somebody can do. And so for a church, we have to remember, 
Friends, listen carefully. We don't judge the Bible. The Bible judges us. We don't judge the Bible. The Bible judges us. We don't take the Bible and the parts of it we want and feel good about it. No, we have to align ourselves on the Word of God. You have to be careful about cherry-picking. Because what can happen, and I want to just bring you to this. Turn back a few pages to 1 Timothy, and then we'll close. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Why is this so important? Why is it so important for a church to be aligned on Scripture? All of the Scriptures. Because of this. Paul was writing Timothy a few years earlier. Timothy was a new pastor in Ephesus. He was struggling with being timid and fearful. Paul wrote 1 Timothy to him to encourage him in his faith and to tell him this is how you should order the church. This is how the church should be carrying out its ministry. And then he said this amazing statement. I want you to notice it in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says in verse 14... I hope to come to you soon. Paul is at that time in prison, but he hopes to be able to come if he's released. I hope to come soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Now notice this. Notice. He says, I'm writing these things to you. What's he writing? The truth. Orthodoxy. What I'm writing to you is the word of God. I'm writing the word of God to you for what purpose? So you might know how you ought to behave. I'm writing these doctrines so you'll know how you ought to behave. I'm sharing this orthodoxy so you'll have right orthopraxy. And that you will practice your Christianity where? In the household of God. That in the very work among the people of God, you will order your life according to the truth. And notice, if you do that, what will the church truly be? The church will truly be a pillar and a buttress of what? The truth. Why is it so important that we align ourselves on the word of God, the truth, so that what we say and the way we behave is holding up the light of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ to a dark world. And when the local churches don't believe right and local churches don't behave right, the world is a darker place. That's what Paul is saying. I want you to follow what I'm saying. Align yourself on this so that your behavior and your message will uphold the truth of the gospel. Friends, listen. You as an individual 
and me as an individual and us collectively, we have a responsibility to do what? To be the light reflectors of Jesus Christ. We're the light of the world. We don't have light in of ourselves. He's the sun. He has the light. We're just a chunk of dirt. But boy, we can reflect him in right belief and right behavior. Now, I was going to end this sermon a very different way. But last night, the Lord, as I was going over these notes, troubled my soul with a statement he made. One of those cherries, not quite sweet. This morning, as I was going over my notes again, this statement of Jesus came to me. Jesus said this. Jesus is saying this. Listen right now to the word of the Lord. Jesus was speaking to a very orthodox, Bible-believing, working church. And he said these words in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, to the church of Ephesus that Timothy had pastored years before. I know your works. I know how you've endured. I know how you have revealed false teaching. But I have something against you. You have left your first love. You've left me your first love. And now here's Jesus' warning, but also his invitation. This is what I want you to hear. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, where you've drifted, where you've gotten off course. Repent. Turn back. Come back. Come back to me. And do the works you did at the first. When you first knew me and your heart was full of love for me, come back to me and to those first works. If not, if you do not do this, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What's the lampstand? It's the witness for Jesus Christ. Church, the ground and the pillar of the truth. If you don't repent, Church of Ephesus, I'll take your lampstand away. Oh, he didn't mean church would cease to exist. But my witness, my presence, my power will be removed from you. Now, friends, listen, let me tell you something. There are churches everywhere. And I say this with love in my heart. This county's full of them. Where people are gathered and the doors are open. But Jesus' presence is left. And the folks are there having church their way, getting what they want, 
filling their little place of religion. But there's no witness. And a church without the presence of God and the witness of Jesus Christ has no right to exist. Now, dear friends, Jesus is speaking to a good church here, Ephesus. And he says, you've left my first love. You've left me your first love. Now you come back and do the works you used to do when you really loved me. Because if you don't, I'm going to take my witness, my presence from you. And you won't be a light to the darkness anymore. You'll be overwhelmed by the darkness. You won't threaten the world. You won't draw people to me. I'll move someplace else to another group of people. I'll have my witness. I'll have my light. But it won't be you. May God in his mercy never let that happen here. But friend, listen, what are we? We're not an institution. Every one of us is part of the flame of witness. And so I want to ask you today, as I ask myself, have we drifted? Have you drifted? Is there a better Sunday than this first Sunday of 2019 to say, Lord, there was a time when I was closer. There was a time when I was more devoted. There was a time when the world was less appealing to me and your things, your kingdom, following you was the greatest thing in my life. My dear friends, that's the place we got to stay.